Hello, everyone. It's your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. Thanks again, folks, for tuning in as we continue to explore larger trends, topics, technologies, and some of the most important market-moving factors that are shaping the larger oil and gas and energy industries. Now, if you are listening along to today's episode, things probably sound about the same. However, if you are watching along, well, that's new in and of itself. We don't often do a lot of on-camera versions of the podcast, so we're hoping to do more of these, and we hope you enjoy uh, seeing the Opportune team this time around for some more quality thought leadership from an Opportune perspective. So thanks again for joining us. And as you listen to today's episode, make sure that you're heading to our website, opportune.com, for not only more episodes of the show, but other important resources like blogs, articles, videos, and white papers. Uh, and you can also learn more about some of our solutions and services, as well as find supplemental content surrounding today's topic. You can also subscribe to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new episodes. So today's episode of the show is a little different, uh, not only because we have a video component running, but also because I'm only going to be doing the intro and outro here today. We actually have a different host who's going to be guiding the discussion. Her name is Katie Rose Hurd. She's a director at Opportune, and we figured we would mix things up and really expand the scope of perspectives that guide our conversations here on the show, especially when our conversations turn more internally. So we're going to be sitting down with Katie Rose Hurd as our host, and she's going to be interviewing Steve Hendrickson and John Beard, two professionals at Ralph E. Davis, an opportune company. So without further ado, let's go ahead and pass it off to Katie Rose. Katie Rose, take it away. Hi there. I'm Katie Rose Hurd, director in the Processing Technology Group at Opportune. And I'm excited to be speaking with you, Steve and John, um, who work in a very different aspect, service line of our firm, um, and learning about your backgrounds and experiences and your thoughts on current events. So thank you for your time today. You're welcome. So I first wanted to dive into um, what the two of you were up to before you joined Opportune. Um, Steve, would you mind starting and giving us some insight into your journey? Yeah, sure. You bet. So, you know, John and I both have lengthy oil and gas careers, um, over 35 years each. We spent a lot of time working for operators uh, around different basins in the U.S. But immediately prior to joining here, we had both uh, been engaged in doing some consulting. We were working together before we were here. Um, we both came out of a um, private equity world, if you will. And I think I can speak for myself and get John to elaborate as well. But, you know, the, when, we, when I left that uh, previous role, it was around 2015, and the private equity markets had tightened up quite a bit. There weren't as many uh, opportunities to reform an entity. And so I turned uh, my career back into consulting, which I had done several years ago. And that's how I crossed paths with John. John, what yeah, about you? I had the same experience, Katie Rose. Um, had just finished up in 2014, um, a private equity backed venture, and then was looking for the next best thing and found that, you know, getting recapitalized and getting a new team going, it just was a lot harder than it had been in the past. There was a lot of guys 
and gals looking for money. And I kind of turned back to consulting. And as Steve mentioned, <clears throat> was blessed to run into him and do some deals and kind of started a, from there. So it's been pretty good. Pretty good yeah, running. we've had a really good relationship over the last, I guess it's five years now. Uh, back then, we were doing, um, did a, quite a bit of buy side evaluation, uh, particularly for mineral and royalty buyers. You know, there are a lot of people that strive to invest in this space. And of course, it's a very technical topic, right? And trying to understand how wells are going to produce in the future, especially ones that haven't been drilled, uh, requires, you know, a lot of engineering and geologic uh, expertise. And so we had a number of clients turn to us to help us evaluate uh, transactions on their behalf. One thing that we picked up then that we're expanding on now is we were dealing with a lot of clients, if you will, that really weren't that familiar with the oil and gas space. They were trying to invest in it anyway. And so we went above and beyond, if you will, to try to explain to them what they were getting into um, to give them a little bit of comfort, they were making good decisions. And we, we continue to do that today um, with all our clients. So what would you say are the major differences between kind of, and you've touched on it a little bit, but what are the major differences between kind of what you were doing in sort of maybe the past five to 10 years versus what um, your type of projects you're primarily working on right now? Right. Well, we've kind of been through an evolution um, here at Opportune. So when I joined and, and John as well, back at the beginning of 2019, you know, it's been a, you know, the world was um, pretty much the same as it had been, I guess, prior to, to prior to the same as what it had been prior to coming here. And uh, but it wasn't long after that, that we had a lot of uh, change in the industry. And you may recall that the latter part of 2019 and all through 2020 was one where a lot of companies found themselves in financial distress. Uh, prices were dropping. Companies had a lot of debt. And there were, frankly, there were a lot of uh, bankruptcies as well. And that was an area that Opportune, as a broader firm, was really active in. We had a restructuring group at the time that I've heard a, at one point we may have had 70 people working on different transactions at once. And uh, I know that we worked on about two dozen during that time frame. I got pulled um, into some of that too. <laughs> exactly. I think we, I, yeah, I think we had everybody we could, that, you know, could help out was involved. Um, and so that, um, especially uh, for us, uh, we started to work on things or look at things from a perspective that we maybe were accustomed to looking at from, um, from a, operator's perspective, from an owner's perspective, but weren't necessarily the ways that things that from a banking perspective that uh, they were looked at or the ways banks had looked at them historically. So just maybe to set the stage a little bit more, we, as a, as a restructuring firm, we would represent lots of different participants in those, um, those disputes, I'll say, for lack of a better word, or those problems. Sometimes we represent the company, help them work their way out. Sometimes we represent their lenders, and sometimes it's just somebody else, another stakeholder. And so we found that when uh, John and I and our team got heavily involved, it was usually when we were representing somebody on the lending side. And for the most part, whether those were in bankruptcy or just in a distress situation, they might have migrated from their normal um I'd say their normal origination and commercial lending team to one that's more accustomed to doing, dealing with uh, distressed or workout situations. And those teams didn't typically have a engineering 
uh, arm or any engineers on them. Not, not to say that all of them didn't, but typically there were no engineers on that side. So that was our role was to come in and try to help them understand um, the nature of the assets. Number one, we would uh, we would review the reserve reports that they were getting from the company and scrutinize those, looking for any potential um, issues with them. Maybe um, maybe things weren't tying out to the, the history and the forecast didn't really match. And we try to understand why that was and and figure out what we needed to do to make those match better. Um, I think we also spend a lot of time doing what I call educational things. And it really reflected, I think, in, in my mind, um, the desire, a shift amongst those participants to better understand the assets that maybe they traditionally had when they just received a reserve report from a third party. And they, they would do their underwriting based on that with maybe um, not as much diligence as I felt like they were going into uh, during these tougher times. I think that's a really good point. I mean, especially on the education piece, because we were getting a lot of questions um, that I typically didn't get when I was with private equity, when we would go through an RBL kind of review. Um, they were mainly looking at the third party report and moving ahead. Now they had a lot more detailed questions on the assets themselves. And it made a difference being able to kind of hold their hand and walk them through that. Mm -hmm. I know that there were a number of cases where um, in these distressed situations, there may be, you know, maybe folks would say, you know, if we just put a little bit more money into this, we can work our way through it. And, you know, we'll do, we'll invest in this particular project and that's going to have a nice return and that'll get everything going again and we'll, you know, climb out of this. Um, so we would get asked to review those sorts of uh, recommendations. So the management team might be proposing to drill some additional wells or maybe uh, some other type of project that they wanted to implement. And our role would be to come in and, and look and see, you know, what are we, how did we think those things would perform? Uh, but also what was kind of the range of outcomes that they might uh, expect to see so that they kind of knew what the upside and the downside were rather than just a single number. Plus, as we were talking about this sort of whole sort of education, you know, being able to to put things in terms that um, someone who's non-technical could can better understand the technical aspects. Um, so how has you've, you've touched on it a little bit, but, you know, the past couple of years, we've been through such price, big price shocks, big ups and downs. And, you know, we're seeing over a hundred dollar um, per barrel prices and, how has that changed or shaped things in the industry from a petroleum engineering perspective? Right. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we've been hearing a lot about for the last couple of years has been maybe maybe a couple of things. One is increased capital discipline. Um, and there's an expectation that management teams will not just manage for growth, but will manage for returns and live within their cash flow um, more, more, more frequently. And that's a reflection of companies, or I'll say the traditional E&P investors um, not wanting to continue to pour money, whether it's equity or debt, into a company just to chase growth, only to find out at the end of that that their returns ended up suffering. So um, because the traditional, what, I'll, what I'm calling the traditional sources of capital, and that would be things like um, reserve-based loans from a commercial lending perspective, uh, private equity for private companies or public equity for your publicly traded companies, because all of those sources of capital are less, uh, have been less available over the last couple of years or available on tougher terms. 
uh, we're starting to see uh, companies that are striving to um, fill that void, if you will. There, there are sources of capital that are starting to become more prevalent in the industry. And a lot of those sources of capital don't have the uh, technical background that the traditional ones do. And so as they start to put money to work, they have a lot of questions. And uh, so we're finding that clients ask a lot more details. They want to understand the assets better than perhaps they did in the past. And it, it seems like there are more investors in uh, kind of niche parts of the industry, like minerals. Are you seeing this um, with your clients and, and prospective clients? And what, differenti what differenti differentiates these investors from traditional operators? Yeah, we definitely see um, a lot of entities like mineral entities. You know, those have been on a tear really for the last I don't know, five or so years. I, I, I got involved in minerals back in 2006 and there, it seemed like there was a big wave of, of uh, new participants at that time. It seemed like it was, you know, the, the flavor of the month, if you will. But I mean, it has gone an order of magnitude beyond that over the last few years. And we continue to see new entrants coming in. Uh, we also see folks that are playing that space differently than they used to. That is maybe rather than just buying and holding uh, for, for years and years, they buy and they wait for some particular event that might result in a value increase. Like uh, let's say you bought some non-developed acreage and then there were some permits or some, some wells were spud on the, on the tracks. They might sell at that point rather than waiting around for the wells to produce and just recover their capital that way. So it's gotten very dynamic. Um, it's gotten more and more fragmented, I'd say. Um, not only do we see minerals buyers, but we're seeing a lot of non-op non working interest participants. Yeah. And um, from the standpoint of petroleum engineering, um, what I see with most of those type of investors is they, a lot of them do tend to be pretty technically, and I'll say data driven. That does seem to be a theme amongst a lot of them is a lot of uh, technical work to understand the production performance of given areas so that they can properly value the assets that they buy and, and when they sell. Um, so, but it does seem like, um, so I wouldn't say that those investors are necessarily driving a new range of questions for us. Maybe the way it shows up um, for us is as we, we find that it's, um, important for us to continue to develop our technical skills, our data analytics, so that we're able to, you know, not, I wouldn't say compete, but we're up with the, with the leaders of the pack, if you will, you know, technology in that regard continues to advance and we want to be at the forefront of that. So um, not only do we develop our own ideas, but as we interact with people, we get the chance to see some of their better ideas. And we think, well, how can we incorporate those into the things that we do and provide to our clients? So you use the term SPUD. Can you spell that out for me? Sure. Um, SPUD, S-P-U-D, right? Just to, mm -hmm. to start a new well, to drill a new well, okay. right? So as I was saying, there as, um, as wells are developed, um, as acreage goes from something that has no wells on it to has a bunch of producing wells, it moves through a series of stages, maybe milestones that well, somebody has to lease it, then there's a drilling permit, then a rig shows up, drills a well, and some of our listeners have undoubtedly heard of ducts, which are drilled, uncompleted wells. Eventually the well gets completed, puts placed on production. And each one of those milestones moves us closer to actually having cash flow. So the probability 
of cash flow goes up and the value goes up uh, compared to an undeveloped uh, tract, if you will. So we see a lot of folks trading around those events. Uh, it's, a, it's a much more dynamic market than it uh, was a few years ago. And then a second question I had, um, me being in our Opportunes Process of Technology group, you mentioned business analytics and tools and things that you use. Can you kind of expand on that? Because I'm curious to what y'all are using to kind of analyze all of these wells and reservoirs. Right. Well, most of this, most of what's um, happening, I'd say, not all, but most of what's going on in terms of data analytics in the petroleum or reservoir engineering space, not not the whole petroleum engineering space, but with respect to reservoir engineering, has to do with the development of what we call type curves or type well profiles. Uh, what those are in unconventional, we use them in unconventional resources, which is predominantly what we're drilling today, to help predict the performance of wells that we have not yet drilled or wells that have only been producing for a short period of time and we can't predict their future performance from their relatively short historical performance. And it, um, it's a very, um, it's been a hot topic in the industry for 10 years. It requires a lot of number crunching, a lot of statistics. And it's like a lot of statistics, there's a lot of places to go wrong with it. Um, there's a lot of places to make it, uh, to use it to maybe justify a story that, um, you know, that you have a bias towards. So we try to develop techniques using um, well, using Spotfire and a bunch of other algorithms and Monte Carlo simulation in order to develop really robust um, data sets and uh, analog sets that we use to predict uh, what the future outcome might be of other wells and not just predict the maybe the expected value, the average value, but to really get a good understanding about what the range of outcomes might be, what influences that performance, how programs of wells reduce risk and to what degree, things like that. And, and as you can imagine, those those can be pretty complicated topics. I mean, the, the math can get pretty heavy um, and it takes, um, I think one of the things I pride our team on is our ability to take those ideas and boil them down into more uh, concepts that are more easily communicated and understood by someone who may not have a super strong mathematics or statistics background. All right. Well, I think those were all the questions I had for you guys today in this discussion. Um, do either of you have any other thoughts or closing comments to add that you think would be important to the listeners? Well, I don't, I don't know. Um, we've kind of touched on it a lot, but, you know, it's definitely a dynamic industry. And um, it's, it's um, we came through a period, uh, I would say, post-2020, 2021 and really was kind of a, a year of reset in my mind is that we've talked a lot about, um, well, I didn't use really use the word, but kind of a little bit of a changing of the guard. Some people who were active in the space on the lending and on the equity side have chosen to not participate or participate at a much lower level. And now we have new entrants coming in. And that takes time for new participants to start to learn the business, to figure out structures that are going to work for their investment goals, and then to start to learn the business, as I mentioned. And so um, what we're finding is that looks like that that door, that revolving door has been spinning a little bit. And now things are starting to happen as um, really kind of picking up, uh, as you might expect, from what I thought was kind of a kind of a slower year last year in, in, in terms of 
yeah. uh, transactions and new ideas. Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. And and as you said, for these new entrants, part of y'all's role has been with recent projects is more kind of a educational guide, um, helping them learn the business and understand it, and so on and so forth. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I mean, these are very savvy people. Uh, they, they certainly are experts at finance and in their field. And they have they do have experience in the industry to some degree. But, you know, there's a lot of technical topics here. And it, um, it's helpful to them to to dig a little bit deeper on those. And so that they when they are speaking internally with their um, committees or whoever their decision makers are, that they can be confident that uh, they understand the they're prepared to answer the questions that they have to answer. I mean, um, so that's I think that's something that we really uh, try to offer really across the board. You know, we we are not the kind of a firm that likes to just, well, we'll do some work, package up some numbers and send them over and, you know, good luck trying to figure them out. Or um, we really want to make sure people understand how we derive what we derive and um, you know, I think it's it's a lot of fun, frankly, to be able to to help um, explain these things to people. It gives us a chance to uh, talk about things that we're all very passionate about. Um, but we also know that it's going to make them, um, hopefully, make them make better decisions and feel more confident in what they're doing. Yeah, I mean that's that's the ultimate goal <clears throat> is to get them to a point where our analysis is conveyed to them in a way that they totally understand it and make more informed, better decisions. Right. Exactly. Well, Steve and John, thank you so much for your insight today. Thank you, Katie. I learned a lot. (laughs) Appreciate your time. Very welcome. Well, thank you again to Katie Rose and to Steve and John for y'all's perspectives on the podcast today. Uh, Again, we hope to have Katie Rose hosting more episodes in the future and guiding more discussion with our opportune professionals. So thank you again to everyone on today's episode, including Katie Rose Hurd, Director at Opportune, John Beard, Vice President of Ralph E. Davis, and Steve Hendrickson, President of Ralph E. Davis on Opportune company. And that does it for today's episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today, make sure that you head to our website, opportune.com, for more episodes of the show and other resources, as well as information on our solutions and services. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of E2B.